Hello and welcome to Scanner Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we will provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I am one of your hosts, Andrei Kurenkov. And I am not Dr. Sharon Joe, but filling in, I am Daniel Bashir. This week, we'll be discussing a few different articles. On the applications and business side, we'll be looking at the new startups that have been created by the DeepMind Mafia. We'll also look at some new technology from NVIDIA. On the research and advancement side, we'll be looking at a neural network with biological neurons a new deep learning approach for generating AI chip architectures. On the society and ethics side, we'll look at US-China collaboration on AI papers, as well as the vulnerability of banks using AI to Russian sabotage. Finally, we'll take a look at Ubisoft's new machine learning tool for modeling animals and an NVIDIA AI model that can turn 2D snapshots into a 3D rendered scene. All right, so a fun episode, and it's fun to have uh, Daniel filling in. He's been involved with a podcast since its inception, I think. Uh, So, yeah. Um, And uh, before we start, uh, just for fun, we have a couple of new reviews on Apple Podcasts. So just want to shout them out. Yeah, yeah, and they're quite uh, quite nice. Well, one of them says <laughs> the title is "Perfect, Quick, Clear, Wide Ranging Insights." Uh, so pretty positive, and the review says that although this is not my field, uh, I have felt AI is something I should know at least a little bit about. Uh, and then it goes on to say that we go through a wide ranging handful of real example of AI work and um, make it possible to get uh, a little handle on what's going on. So uh, yeah, that's uh, great. That's what we aim to do for anyone, especially outside of AI, to get a glimpse of what's going on and also for people in sort of the weeds of it to get a perspective outside of just research. And uh, Yes, let's go ahead and dive in. First up in applications and business, we have Meet the DeepMind Mafia. These 18 alumni from Google AI Research Lab are raising millions for their startups from climate to crypto. So as the title says, this is an article surveying uh, a bunch of companies being started by people who used to work at DeepMind, often prominent researchers there. And this is on Business Insider. So just to uh, give you a bit of details from there, we won't go through all of them, but uh, DeepMind is quite big now. They have 1,200 employees and it's you know pretty uh, old now, or at least uh, has been around since about 2014. So a lot of people have joined and worked there. And so these people that are starting new companies, uh, there's kind of a variety that includes the original co-founder from DeepMind, uh, whose last name is Suleiman. And they're starting this startup uh, Inflection with another co-founder, which is is pretty new. Uh, There's not much details about it, but 
that just got reported. Then there's also ex-DeepMinder Jack Kelly starting Open Climate Fix. Uh, there's also engineers uh, Miljan Mardik and Peter Toff starting a web free venture, Cosent Labs. And there's a few more. So there's um, the company Personal Assistant Saiga. There's uh, actually a nonprofit called the Africa I Know and another one called Inductiva AI from a founding member of the AlphaFold team. So really a whole bunch of different companies with different applications of AI. And uh, yeah, pretty cool to see all of these people who have done a lot of exciting work go on to uh, develop new companies that will spin out and, and do a whole bunch of useful things. Yeah, it's great to see, and I guess not even that much of a surprise given just the massive concentration of AI talent in DeepMind. But it's nice in the sense that I feel like in terms of looking at the impacts in general, it feels like the different areas that can benefit from AI are almost better served than, you know, having by having that concentrated talent disperse out a bit and start all of these new ventures. So I'm excited to see where this all goes. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, DeepMind has been doing more and more sort of applied work in the vein of AlphaFold, where they address a particular task, but there's still sort of a general uh, AI research uh, lab focused on basically advancing AI on a whole bunch of fronts. So these people uh, like the founding member of the AlphaFold team, Hugo uh, um obviously have a lot of expertise in these areas and having them move on and then really focus in on these problems, I think is, is really exciting. Mm -hmm. We'll just have to watch and see where this all goes. So for our second piece on this front, we're going to look at some new technology that was recently unveiled by NVIDIA and really for all these innovations, the big focus is as you'd expect on speeding up AI. So the first one is the new H100 chip. This is superseding NVIDIA's previous top of the line A100 chip. It's named after Grace Hopper and is actually the first ARM-based chip to be released from NVIDIA since it's a deal to buy ARM fell apart. It also unveiled a new supercomputer called EOS, which it claims will be the world's fastest AI system. But I think for a lot of folks, the H100 chip is a really big deal right now. Um, Jensen Huang, the CEO, called H100 the engine of AI infrastructure. Another really interesting thing is that the H100 actually hasn't been released yet, despite the fact that it's been announced. So a lot of others in the ecosystem are actually kind of wondering what sort of game NVIDIA is playing here. Perhaps they're trying to lock up the market. Hard to say. But... In terms of what the H100 is actually offering over its predecessor, there's a couple of interesting things I just wanted to call out because I think that they confirm and sort of comment on a lot of the development that's come in the AI space recently, both on the software and hardware side. One particularly interesting bit is that they introduced something called a transformer engine, really a specific part of the hardware that is literally just focused on optimizing transformers. So they claim up to nine times transformer model speed up for training on a cluster. They also have a sparsity feature. 
But with the transformer engine, another cool thing there is how it manages operations between different data types. So again, we said they claim nine times faster AI training, as well as 30 times faster AI inference speedups over the A100. There's a lot of really interesting projections in terms of the H100's performance. Time will tell us what things look like, but it really does come across as a validation and I guess indicative of the huge bets that the hardware industry is making on AI right now. So I thought this was a really interesting announcement. Yeah, same. I think uh, we've obviously been seeing a trend of gigantic models being more and more common. I mean, generally, there's been a, a trend of increasing model size, but lately even more so. So obviously, I think there will be a need for this sort of advanced hardware. And the fact that they're adding these sort of optimization specifically for AI uh, make a lot of sense, right? Because now with companies like Google and Facebook and OpenAI, they really are devoting a huge amount of their cloud infrastructure and computing infrastructure specifically to AI. And, you know, I mean, obviously Google already does this with their uh, TPU um, chips or um, systems, which are, um, you know, Tensor something, something. Uh, <laughs> uh, tensor, tensor processing with, unit, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they already are on this train of uh, creating their own hardware. I think Meta or Facebook also did this sort of thing. So clearly there's a need and it's cool to see NVIDIA, which, you know, in case anyone doesn't know, their GPUs power uh, AI for, I guess, most um, companies, most researchers, etc. It's exciting to see them going more in this sort of optimized route. Definitely. I think it's um, a pretty interesting development and it really does seem like pretty much every large company at this point, you know, Amazon included, are really throwing a lot of their chips into these AI acceleration architectures. Mm -hmm. For sure. And now on to our lightning round where we just quickly go over some other stories we did not have time to summarize. First up, we have robotic exoskeleton uses machine learning to help users with mobility impairments. So uh, here they're using machine learning to basically let the exoskeleton guess the intentions of a user and thereby be more reactive and easy to control. Uh, next up, we have Kroger and NVIDIA partner to reinvent the shopping experience with AI and digital twin simulations. Uh, not much details here, but basically there's some sort of strategic collaboration. And Kroger, Kroger is a huge uh, shopping chain, in case you don't know, in much of the U.S. So it is kind of interesting to see, and it'll be cool to see what they actually develop. Absolutely. Next on, we have top AI execs, including Richard Stocher, are launching a $50 million AI-focused venture fund called AIX Ventures, which should be really interesting to see, I think, especially as so much venture money is flowing into AI these days. But I'm curious to see what it'll look like as maybe folks who really spent a lot of time in the AI research space are starting to create their own funds and where that goes. And the final one 
is that Mayo is launching an AI startup program with assists from Epic and Google. This is called the Mayo Clinic Platform Accelerate. It's a 20-week initiative aimed at helping four companies in its initial cohort become market ready. Yep. So a lot of uh, activity in the business front as usual. And now moving on to our stories in research and advancements for AI. First up, we have researchers from Cortical Labs develop DishBrain, a neural network with biological neurons. So this uh, Australian company, Cortical Labs, uh, is integrating neurons into digital systems, uh, basically trying to use biological neurons processing capability to build the synthetic biological uh, intelligence. So they looked at neural networks grown from mouse and human cells. And then from there, they developed DishBrain, which is a system that demonstrates natural intelligence by using those neurons' intrinsic adaptive computation in a structured context. So specifically, they uh, made this uh, biological neural net play a game similar to Pong. And so a sequence of electrodes in this biological neural network, what they call BNN, was triggered based on the game state, uh, delivered sensory input, and then other electrodes uh, controlled the up and down motion of the paddle. So basically they you know, grew a little brain, <laughs> sounds like, to play uh, Pong. And uh, yeah, I think this is this is quite interesting. I think um, you know I do think there might be limits to what we can do with um, traditional computing um, paradigms. Even as we kind of scale up, there might be a limit. So if we can actually do the sort of biological neural network training, uh, that could be a big deal. Although this is obviously very early on. Yeah, this is definitely pretty early stages, but I am also glad that people are still exploring other approaches to synthetic intelligence besides just the software-based neural network paradigm. I think that seems to right now just be leading us down this road of let's create larger and larger models and throw even more stupid amounts of data and compute at them, which it's really interesting to watch and see what kinds of new capabilities come out of those scaling laws. But at the same time, it's a little bit tiring and you really wonder, okay, is this the path we want to go down? If we're thinking back to like when the field of AI was started, what people were trying to get at back then. So I'm glad that people are still pushing on different approaches here. And I hope we'll see, we'll see more coming out of that. Yeah, I think um, there's been also a lot of assignment or, or a lot of work in the past decades on so-called neuromorphic chips, which kind of do a combination of what this is doing and what we have in AI right now, which are you know chip designs that are meant to emulate uh, neuron activity, kind of take more direct inspiration from... Um, how the human brain works or how animal brains work, but still in sort of more traditional silicon based, um, um, activations, you know, with, uh, transistors and so on. So 
And yeah, that's still being worked on by many groups. So far, GPUs have been much more kind of successful uh, in part due to them being very general purpose and easy to program and easy to work with. But I could see neuromorphic architectures becoming more of a big deal in the coming decades. As we saw, NVIDIA has already created this more um, AI optimized sort of uh, chip. And uh, it may well be that neuromorphic architectures will ultimately enable better progress uh, over the long term. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's really going to be this interplay between the software and the hardware, right? Because in some ways, the software, the models, the new developments that are going on in the space and computing in general are going to have a big impact on the hardware that gets developed as we are seeing in the development of AI and just domain-specific accelerators today. But then at the same time, you see the reverse trend of how the hardware that is available does limit what sorts of algorithms actually get built, right? Just because certain sorts of computations, like parallel computations on GPUs, for example, are going to work better on those. So I think it's really going to be this game of back and forth going on into the future. But I'm definitely curious as well to see where, if and how neuromorphic architectures start to enter the game. So our next story on this front actually brings us back to the old AI chip scene. And this is about a new deep learning approach called Prime, developed by some Google AI and UC Berkeley researchers. This actually generates AI chip architectures by drawing from existing blueprints and performance figures. Now, this is actually following on some recent work that I think also comes out of places like Google AI, where they were actually using reinforcement learning for things like chip planning. So this definitely isn't the first instance where people are trying to figure out, okay, how can we use AI in order to design hardware better? Now, this is looking, of course, specifically at hardware accelerators. And when you want to find this balance between computing and memory resources and communication bandwidth, it's a little bit hard to meet design limitations. So Prime offers this data-driven optimization approach that generates AI chip architectures by using log data without having to do further hardware simulation, which actually also saves a lot of time. And what's really cool about this, too, is they claim that this allows data from previous experiments to be reused in a zero-shot fashion, even when you're targeting a different set of applications. They also claimed a couple of interesting results. In particular, although they didn't train Prime to reduce chip area, it actually increased latency over Edge TPU, a previous approach. Uh, by 2.69 times and lower chip area by 1.5 times. So I guess a lot of what we're seeing here is the introduction of machine learning techniques, not just you know using hardware, but into the creation of hardware itself. And the fact that we are seeing results that indicate improvement on existing hardware is really interesting. And I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more work on this front in the future, not just in the planning of chips, but in the actual machine learning compilers that used, get used for AI accelerators and so on. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, when we discussed that a story about using reinforcement learning for 
chip design, um, it was already very exciting. And I think at that point, uh, Google had said that they actually incorporated some of these design uh, findings into their TPU and, and that improved their performance. And then, yeah, these results are again, very striking. I mean, reducing chip size by, um, you know, 50% here or uh, re reducing latency by almost, um, you know, a factor of two. These are major changes, uh, major improvements. Um, almost, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a little bit too good to be true. It's, it's not too clear how directly usable these are, but um, even if it's not quite as effective as in this results, I think it still obviously could be very impactful. And I, it seems to make sense that in the future, you know, professionals, uh, electrical engineers who do chip design would use these sorts of AI tools uh, from the onset to, you know, really optimize things and, uh, you know, our computers will be faster, hopefully. <laughs> so that'll be good. Yeah, I think definitely in addition to the points you made about performance improvements, like reducing latency, also just the fact that, you know, you can get a sense of um, generating these AI chip architectures without further hardware simulation. And just the fact that these approaches save time in the actual development as well. So, you know, hopefully we won't just have better hardware for training AI models, but we'll be able to iterate on and get it faster, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So very cool new results in this uh, area. Onto our lightning round, we see uh, the first story here is seeing an elusive magnetic effect through the lens of machine learning. So an MIT team incorporates AI to facilitate the detection of an intriguing material phenomenon that can lead to electronics without energy dissipation. Pretty cool. Then we got uh, ML researchers from Oxford propose a forward mode method to compute gradients without back propagation, uh, a lot of jargon there for people not so aware, but basically um, this sort of thing could help uh, optimize neural networks faster, potentially. So could be a big deal if, um, you know, this turns out to be a better way to optimize neural networks. Exciting. So for our next few stories, first off, machine learning can predict wind energy efficiency. An article recently published in the journal Energies uh, presented this comparative study of efficient wind power predictions using machine learning methods, which is definitely an area that I hadn't quite thought about machine learning being applied to. Another area is on machine learning techniques speeding up glacier modeling by a thousand times. And these sorts of models can be a pretty valuable tool to assess potential future contributions of glaciers to sea level rise. Yeah, so as always, lots going on. Moving on to our society and ethics stories. First up, we have uh, US-China collaboration in AI papers drops amid ongoing tech war, uh, according to a Stanford report. And this is from the South China Morning Post. So the basis of this article 
is uh, recently the AI index report got released, which we talked about a bit in prior episodes. And this was released by the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI. And in that report, it was shown that uh, last year, there were approximately 9,600 papers that were co-offered by researchers affiliated with both US and Chinese institutions which was down from more than 10,000 the year before that. So uh, this article basically infers that this collaboration drop happened as a result of this ongoing uh, tech war where uh, some US-based Chinese researchers have been accused of intellectual property theft uh, and uh, some researchers Uh, Some American schools, including MIT, have cut research ties with Chinese tech firms like Huawei. Um, So these claims are, I don't know, pretty interesting, it seems like. There have been a lot of tensions in the past few years uh, with these sorts of of, uh, controversies, I guess, about um, tech companies from China and how it relates to the US. At the same time, um, it's worth noting that uh, Stanford HEI, their own article is called China and the United States, Unlikely Partners in AI. And it highlights that AI cooperation between China and the US leads the world. It has increased five times since 2010, and they produce 2.7 times more AI papers between them uh, than other countries between the United Kingdom and China. So still a lot of collaboration and China and the US are uh, some of the biggest uh, publishers of AI conference papers. So um, there is a lot of collaboration, perhaps unsurprisingly. So I guess some mixed signals, um, but something that probably is worth um, being aware of. Yeah, this is definitely a bit unsurprising, but still really interesting. Just the level of AI collaboration between the U.S. and China amidst what many are saying are, of course, you know, souring relations, some pretty violent rhetoric at times. And I think also just a lot of rhetoric around trying to decouple ourselves from China in particular. I think that this just speaks to how closely tied our ecosystems are technologically. And even if we really did want to decouple from China, I think that it's really difficult for a number of reasons. And, you know, this isn't just commenting on things in general, but when you look to the AI space, for example, you look at how much talent the United States attracts from China. You look at the cooperation between researchers from institutions and the fact that so many U.S.-based companies also have pretty large research centers over in China. So I think that this high level of cooperation is something I expect to continue. What I'm really interested in is what that's going to look like in the midst of potentially tensions rising even higher than they are already. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it. It's quite interesting. Uh, it's probably likely, I would imagine, that this drop in collaboration is specific to these big 
tech companies that have been controversial. So Huawei, for instance, has been um, kind of accused of enabling information gathering and, and sort of basically spying with their networking technologies. And as we know now, a lot of AI research uh, comes from industry in addition to academia. So I would imagine uh, some collaboration drop may be specific to industry and, and R&D that comes from industry as opposed to collaboration within academia. I think in academia, generally, you know, these kind of tech war kind of things don't matter too much. So I'm not too worried, uh, but definitely interesting to see these sorts of socio-political um, or econ economic and political tensions leading to impacts on you know research collaboration. Sure. Yeah, and I, I guess another thought there is just that it's always good to see international collaborations and in, you know AI research. And I guess you mentioned that this is maybe more likely to affect industry, but I do think that you know this sort of collaboration does always tend to push the field forward, you know, people can bring a diversity of perspectives to the table. Um, of course, that's just, you know, very broad strokes thoughts on this, but I do wonder about how things will differ in the future if, especially in industry, people actually are able to decouple a little bit and do less collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Also on that note, uh, another thing worth noting is often in media, there's been a discussion of sort of this race between China and the U.S. to win in AI research or development or something, um, which is a simple narrative that, um, you know, really casts it, the U.S. and China as opponents, where one can win in sort of AI dominance. And that's oversimplistic and there's a lot of reasons why this framing is uh, basically wrong and as we see here this large amount of collaboration is one instance where you can see it's not sort of a versus uh, relationship necessarily definitely i'm glad you called that out i do think that a lot of the coverage tends to be fairly simplistic and does paint us as better enemies but really the picture is a lot more complicated so I guess moving on to our next story here, this concerns another international actor that has been in the news quite a lot lately. So experts have started to warn that banks and other financial institutions that are utilizing artificial intelligence could be uniquely susceptible to retaliatory Russian cyber attacks. Now, the reason people are worried about this is that banks and global financial institutions have played a pretty integral role in the whole sanctions regime against Russia. So they've blocked money flows from Russian banks, denied them access to international markets, even frozen the assets of, of Putin. And what's interesting here is that at the same time as banks have started to use AI systems more themselves, there are a lot of vulnerabilities in those AI systems that are significant and pretty widely overlooked at many of these financial institutions. Now, this comes in a lot of ways. So AI systems can be subject to, for example, data poisoning attacks, where 
you can sort of screw with the uh, model's predictions by basically infecting the data that is put into it. You can do a lot of different things there as well. There's worries about the privacy of data that is fed into AI models. And what's worrying about that, though, is that this is a little bit of a harder problem than software vulnerabilities in certain ways. Machine learning vulnerabilities can't really be patched in the same way that you patch other software. So a potential attack could actually last a lot longer when it's been done against an AI system. And I think these security weaknesses are being called out by a lot of folks. So government leaders like President Biden worry Russia may start using cyber attacks to lash out against these financial institutions as sanctions take a continued toll. So it'll be interesting to watch what, if anything, Russia does in terms of attacking these financial institutions. But I think there's a lot of urgency there, especially as they start trying to deploy these AI applications. Yeah, I think this seems fairly speculative at this point. Um, I'm not sure to what extent uh, banks do use AI. Certainly, they're not using it in sort of core security um, aspects where, you know, if, if AI makes any sort of decisions. Uh, but it is a um, pretty notable topic, uh, at least, where as you know, more and more companies integrate um, AI neural networks in different things, you know, like spam detection or um, you know network monitoring uh, or things like that. Probably you couldn't sort of uh, breach them to get passwords or you know steal money, but you could probably mess and sort of interrupt operations. I would imagine. Uh, so. And yeah, I think there is, it's a kind of very fresh area and the types of cyber attacks and the kinds of impacts that result are not very well known. So uh, certainly for the state actors like Russia that invest a lot in their cyber war capabilities, um, this will be an area where they do a lot of R&D and, and try to find these vulnerabilities before maybe they're known and, you know, find basically new ways to attack. Uh, so certainly I think not too worrying for me at the moment, uh, but does bring up a topic that I think is uh, important to be aware of. And especially for these companies, obviously to be mindful of in this coming decade. That's a good call out, but this is a pretty speculative worry. I do think though, as you also kind of affirmed, it's definitely valid that in the future, this sort of thing could become more of a problem. And I think that there is a lot of demonstrated interest by banks and financial institutions to start to use AI models in sort of their day-to-day -day operations. A lot of them are even interested in, you know, larger models like GPT-3 and using those for different things. So I guess even if this is a pretty early worry, Hopefully, you know, maybe as banks are starting to consider more uh, using these AI systems for, you know, more and more integral operations, that they be really careful about how they do so and how they integrate them and the security practices around them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I suppose it's worth noting on the 
research side, there has been a lot of work uh, over the past maybe half decade focused on security of AI systems and exploits. And there's been a lot of sort of weird exploits that have been found where one notable example is if you take an image of some object or some animal like a panda and just change one pixel very slightly or a bunch of pixels very slightly such that it still looks exactly the same to the human eye, the neural, net, uh, neural network is fooled. Um, and yeah, there's these different kinds of vulnerabilities and exploits already found in uh, academia. And so certainly I think there are kind of unexpected fronts on which um, AI will lead to new ways that could be attacked and already there's research on how to counteract some of the ones we know, but there have been examples uh, of these forms of attack and uh, certainly there is some basis to believe uh, to believe these concerns based on that. Absolutely. And on to our lightning round. Uh, first up, uh, kind of following up on what we just discussed, there's a story called Invading Ukraine Has Appended Russia's AI Ambitions and Not Even China May Be Able to Help. This is more of an editorial article that says, you know, likely this will be very bad for the country's ambitions to be a leader in AI. Um, pretty speculative, you know, um, maybe not, uh, but interesting read given the situation. Then next up, we have automation will erase knowledge jobs before most blue collar jobs, according to the Future Today Institute CEO. Uh, so this is uh, basically citing the Future Today Institute CEO, Amy Webb, saying that high skill professions may be more susceptible to replacement by AI, which is also the conclusion of prior kind of research and reports on this. So I think many people expect it to be uh, lower skilled workers pay less, but in fact, current predictions are more of sort of middle class or uh, kind of mid range jobs being susceptible to replacement. Yeah, I think the um, earlier MIT Future of Work report or one of those task forces came to a pretty similar conclusion. For our next story, we're seeing that Ukraine has actually been using facial recognition software to identify the bodies of Russian soldiers killed in combat. And they then trace their families to inform them of their deaths, which I guess is an interesting, possibly humane way of using the technology. Our last story in this lightning round is that software vendors are pushing explainable AI that often isn't. And this really kind of comes on the tail of a lot of concerns about explainable AI. Um, what's really going on here is, you know, as more and more people using AI systems, both within companies, but then also buyers outside of companies have started to question, hey, how do these systems actually work? We have an entire research field that's really been dedicated to figuring out, okay, how do you explain the way these systems work to people? But 
What's kind of unfortunate about it is, you know, there's a lack of standards in that explainability. And also a lot of the real life tools that have been developed for these explainability purposes don't actually seem to achieve what they set out to. There have been a number of studies that have shown that different explanation methods actually really just convince people that they understand the AI systems are looking at when they actually don't understand them at all. So this really isn't new news to us. But it's good to see that there's more coverage of this problem. And the hope, I think, for me is that some of these vendors that are pushing, you know, explainable AI will maybe come to their senses a little bit, will start to look at these practices and start pushing something that's a little bit more reasonable and really trying to achieve what they set out to, making sure that people actually understand these AI systems and not just using explainable AI as a marketing tool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is uh, pretty interesting. It's covering an older paper that uh, was published in the Lancet uh, 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 publication uh, about medical research. And <laughs> the title of this paper is pretty fun. The False Hope of Current Approaches to Explainable AI in Healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, so as you said, I think it's good that we uh, have researchers looking and uh, analyzing these situations. Actually, this article also cites a more recent uh, paper with disagreement problem in explainable machine learning. So it's, it's really doing an overview of this kind of research. And we've seen before research also pointing out bias in uh, these deployed sort of models for facial recognition and so on. So good to see a lot of this sort of critical examination. And on to our fun and neat stories. First up, we have Ubisoft shows off machine learning tool for modeling animals. So in a tweet, Ubisoft announced, Ubisoft is a video game company in case you don't know, and they showed off the Zoo Builder AI tool in a video that was actually posted in a tweet. Uh, so it's kind of like a mini documentary. In three minutes, it goes over how they built this tool that is meant to help with animating animal motion. So animation these days in video games for humans relies a lot on mocap, on having actual human actors move around because it generates much more realistic motion than with animation. But for animals, you know, mocap, isn't very uh, easy to do, especially for you know wild animals. So they are hand animated. And this AI tool uh, basically promises to take videos of animals moving around you know in their environment and then use AI to convert that to animation. And it does this by sort of tracking the joint states of the animal and then converting those joint states to some sort of uh, animated model that can replicate that motion. So yeah, check out this article. Uh, they embed the tweet in there so you can actually watch the video. And it's it's quite fun to see, you know, this uh, video of, I don't know, a cheetah or a lion moving around, and then you can use that for a digital animal. Uh, this is still a prototype, so it's not, being used for game, game development, but it's very easy to see how it would be down the line. Mm -hmm. It's definitely pretty neat to see this work that could 
advance, I guess, the the realistic nature of the things we see in games. Our next reacts we share is quite a bit in common with this one that we just read. So NVIDIA released an AI demo pretty recently, and it has this tool called Instant Nerf that quickly turns a few dozen 2D snapshots into a 3D rendered scene. And the way this method works is by looking at the color and light intensity of different 2D shots and then generating data to connect these images from different vantage points. From there, it renders a finished 3D scene. And what's really cool about this is it can be used to create avatars or scenes for virtual world or train robots and self-driving cars to actually understand the size and shape of real world objects by capturing 2D images. It's also kind of mentioned that you could capture video conference participants and their environments in 3D, which I'm not quite as excited about, but it's a pretty impressive tool. The NVIDIA researchers said they were able to export scenes at a resolution of 1920 by 1080 in just tens of milliseconds. They also released the source code for the project. So if you want to play around with it, re-implement their methods, it's all out there for you. Yeah, yeah, this is actually really exciting. Uh, again, if you go to the article, you can check out a little video which really showcases the potential here. Or you can actually go to last week in .ai, where in our uh, summary, text summary of the news, we also embed it there. Uh, so for a bit more context, uh, this article also covers how this uh, thing, NERF, neural radiance fields, it was first introduced in uh, 2020 and has since been really uh, picked up on and, and being developed a lot with an AI. It was probably one of the biggest or, or most exciting developments uh, lately in AI. And uh, one of the limitations of this NERF thing is actually yeah generating these 3d scenes fast because uh, you need to optimize basically per scene or, or i don't know i won't get into the technical stuff but uh, this is uh, really addressing one of the major limitations pretty impressively and yeah i think um, a lot of people predict that nerf like techniques will have a huge impact on a lot of things and seeing this progress is pretty mind-blowing. You know, early on, if you look back at 2020, there were initial result, results uh, that were pretty cool, but there were various uh, kind of limitations. And now in just two years, there's been a huge amount of progress and it really showcases the ability of the AI research community to push things forward incredibly fast. It is truly impressive. Whenever I guess the AI community gets really excited about a problem, you can you can see this pretty amazing progress. And it is also kind of worth noting also how it's exciting that there is this culture in AI of even in industry with industry labs, they operate uh, many times similarly to academia. They publish these papers publicly and they open source their code. And that's in large part why the AI community can move so fast is people share code, they share trained models, uh, they keep uh, papers free, not locked behind paywalls, all this sort of thing. So um, great to see NVIDIA also doing that in this case.
It's a great trend. Yeah. I think we've seen, I guess, a lot of instances in the past where people have looked at certain studies that were released in, you know, journals like Nature and realized, hey, this is actually just like marketing for Google or something like that because they didn't really release any uh, anything that could help people reproduce their experiments. So I do think, you know, there are ways in which the AI field is still not perfect in terms of allowing for this reproducibility. But I do think that the culture has definitely shifted quite a bit. And this is something that people seem to care a lot more about now. Yeah, agreed. So again, you can check out the associated videos with the stories uh, at lastweekend.ai where we have a newsletter, uh, which is also <laughs> where this podcast uh, was derived from. So a little bit of history for you. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Scandio Day's Last Week in AI podcast. Once again, you can find articles similar to what we discussed at our text newsletter at lastweekend.ai. As always, uh, we would appreciate positive reviews. As you've seen, we've been really enjoying reading the sort of reviews that we talk about at the beginning of the episode. Um, it's just great to hear your feedback and um, really makes this effort worthwhile. So we do appreciate it and we do, you know, <laughs> get a lot of excitement from it. So if you enjoy the podcast, you know, um, just drop a quick review and uh, we'd appreciate it. And uh, thanks, Daniel, for filling in. It was a lot of fun having you on. Uh, Sharon, I think we'll be back soon, but uh, it's great that we could do this episode and you could fill in. Yeah, thanks for having me co-host today, Andre. It was really great to do this. Alrighty, and uh, that's it. Uh, be sure to tune in to next week's Last Week in AI. <laughs>